a true encounter with Jesus just doesn't inform us. A true encounter with Jesus transforms us. A true encounter with Jesus doesn't just inform us. I'm not standing up here. I haven't prepared 20 hours just to pass on information. The whole point and what we do here every Sunday at 1030 is we are doing spiritual war at this pulpit. That we are literally taking on Satan right now. And all his schemes and all his lies and all that he tries to do. And we are pounding him with the word of God. Jesus didn't call you to be informed. He called you to be transformed. Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. And so, Father, I know the enemy has come to kill, steal, and destroy. Uh, the enemy wants to get us distracted, especially this time of year uh, with all the hustle and the bustle and uh, just all that's going on, even good things, Lord, but the enemy can use those things to distract us from what's really important, and that's you, Jesus. And so, Father, I pray this simple prayer before we open your word, the truth, and just mine the scriptures together. God, I pray this. If there's one here today, one that's listening, that has never truly surrendered their life to Jesus, we're not talking about making a verbal profession, although that's good. We're not talking about walking an aisle or even getting baptized. Those are good things. But Lord, your Bible, your word is true. And it tells us if we're really going to be yours, Jesus, we've got to surrender all of our lives to you. And so, Father, I pray if there's one, maybe several today, that need to surrender their lives to you, may this be the day of salvation. And so, Holy Spirit, would you speak? I pray we just hear you and you alone. And as we fight this battle right here from this pulpit, uh, may you be glorified, God. May you be honored. May you be praised. And we pray this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Luke chapter 2, looking at 15 through 18, and, and as you're finding that place in your Bible, and again, I, I pray you have your Bible. I know it's, it's kind of one of these things. Years ago, uh, I was uh, preaching a message, and I said, hey, make sure if you got a Bible, you bring it. Now, I understand some people don't have a Bible. I get that. And one old dude, he said this, he said, but yeah, it's just one more thing to carry. To which I retorted, it's the only thing that will carry you. Which well, is so easy, isn't it, to get away from the truth. And I pray, if you have a Bible, I pray you'll bring it. If you don't, let me know. I'll get you one. I'll be happy to get you a Bible because it is life. What am I doing with Jesus? is the title. What am I doing with Jesus? It's kind of a play on words if you think about it. What am I doing with Him? In other words, He's there and I'm with Him and what are we doing together, we could ask. Another way to look at it is the gospel is Jesus. We could ask this question. If you're a true believer here today, from a stewardship perspective, what are you doing with Jesus? What am I doing with him? I'm on his team. What am I doing with him? He's given me a mandate to go do something. 
Question for you and me today, what are you, what am I doing with Jesus? Look at Luke chapter 2. Simple verses. I'm going to give you simple verses, simple keys, and I pray our hearts will be transformed. Luke 2, 15 through 18, the ESV translation reads it like this, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. 16, and they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. Now, don't miss verse 18. Really important. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Church, this is the Word of God, and all God's people said, amen. You know, I was thinking about this thought. You guys ever wake up in the middle of the night, and the Lord kind of rings your bell and gives you a thought? Ever happened to anybody besides me? So I'm sitting there, and it's, it's the middle of the night, and this is the thought I heard. Satan, for the true believer, has come to sabotage your life. That's something to wake up to, isn't it? For the true believer, Satan has come to sabotage your life. You guys want some good news? For the true believer, Jesus Christ has come to give you life. You know, I always find it interesting when I read Luke 2, and you can read it later, Matter of fact, I would encourage you tomorrow, uh, when you wake up, before you do any family functions or good things, break open your Bible and read Luke chapter 2. It will set the tone for your day. Because you're going to see something amazing. You're going to see in Luke chapter 2 that that the announcement for the greatest person to ever walk the face of this planet called earth… That announcement, that royal announcement spiritually, was not given to the seminary presidents. It wasn't given to the megachurch pastors. It wasn't given to any presidents of any countries. It was given to lowly shepherds. You ever thought about that before? Why would God announce the greatest message to a broken, fallen, depraved world, why would he tell lowly shepherds? I got a few theories. I'm going to go into them, but I believe this to be a thought to springboard off of. Jesus Christ was born to come to this earth. He was born to die. He was born to face the enemy at the cross. He was born to conquer the enemy at the cross. He was born to atone for my sin and your sin, the true believer, at the cross. And yet he was born to go into a tomb and and on the third day to, to truly conquer sin, to truly conquer the enemy, to truly arise from the grave, that victory indeed would be his. And even God had somewhat of a covert plan. I mean, why didn't He just do that? Now, I believe part of the reason was to go through the shepherds to show the covert plan. I believe part of the reason was to show great humility coming from heaven and present it to humility on the earth, lowly peasant shepherds. I believe on and on we could go, but I want you to focus on this thought here in verse 15 of chapter 2 as you look in your Bible on the screens right now, because here's what happens as it's announced. You've got to remember, as it's announced to them that, that, that you see this realm of angels, 
You see, the glory, glory to God in the highest, that they're proclaiming the good news, that they're proclaiming the the greatest news for the greatest disease, that they're they're proclaiming the greatest news for the greatest addiction, that they're they're proclaiming the greatest news that that can set people free from the self-imposed prisons that we all tend to live on and live in, the greatest news is being announced. To lowly shepherds <laughs> of all people. And then verse 15 says this. It's amazing. When the angels went away from them, who's them? Any ideas? Beautiful. Shepherds into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, this is interesting, so, so they hear this crazy news, and you're out there, and you're feeding your sheep, right? And you're feeding your sheep, and all of a sudden, can you imagine, uh, imagine like stadium lights going on, like the whole sky is lit up, like the glory of the Lord is shining. I don't think we understand this. This wasn't the glory of the angels, This was the glory of God, that our great God and Savior, that His glory is shining and the sky is illuminated. That'd be something to turn and talk to each other, wouldn't it? So the Word says, so they said to one another, they got a discussion going on, can you imagine? Let us, not someone else. Oh, that's a good nugget, isn't it? Did you catch that? (laughs) Let us. What's so easy to want someone else to go do the work, right? Well, that's that's a major issue in America today, right? In the American version of Christianity. I'm just gonna let someone else go do it. No, they said, let us. Let us go over to Bethlehem and see what they wanted to see this. Church, are you wanting to see today Jesus? Like, do you hunger to see Jesus? I don't want to see him. They did. They did. They wanted to see him. And so what happens? Well, they want to go see the thing that happened which the Lord has made known to us about this Christ child is what they're referring to. Church, write down key number one. I want you to write this down out of the gate. Just write this down in your notes. When the Lord makes something spiritually known, as the Holy Spirit leads, a spiritual plan must be formulated. Key number one, write this down. When the Lord makes something spiritually known, this is key, this part here, as the Holy Spirit leads, a spiritual plan must be formulated. I wrote that down, I was praying on it, marinated on it, and here's the thought that that just ripped my mind and heart wide open. We will formulate vacation plans. We will formulate retirement plans. We will formulate Christmas plans. But how many people are formulating spiritual plans? It's kind of one of those deer in the headlight questions, isn't it? What's so interesting, if you think about this earthly life, that at best, you know, you might live to be a hundred, let's say, and we work all these years, if I was to have a measurement in front of me, if I hold out my arms, let me just use this as an illustration, so let's say this is your life. That's your life, whatever the years are. Let's say you live to be a hundred. And what's so ironic about this is if to my, my left here, as we move in life, 
we've worked all these years so that we can live these golden years. And so often, all of these years, we've made no spiritual plans. So many people are preparing and formulating plans for tomorrow on this earth and in this life, but how many people are formulating plans for tomorrow perhaps in the next life? That really hit me hard. And over the years, I believe this to be true. I believe that not making spiritual plans has destroyed more lives, more marriages, more families, and more churches than Satan could have ever dreamed of. Just not making any spiritual plans. One pastor, not me, I didn't write this, and I don't remember who said it, I just had it noted. One person said it like this, one pastor, here's what followers of Christ say on Saturday night, I get to go to the house of the Lord tomorrow. With joy they come. They do not have to be begged, end quote. A good and then. See, Ecclesiastes would say it like this, and we've quoted this verse ad nauseum, but I think it encapsulates this thought of, of obedience, this thought of planning, which again, planning's not bad. We need to plan. Just don't sit around. Of course you got to plan. But so often we get things confused. We're like, we're doing all these earthly plans, and we're forgetting God. God's over in the corner going, I'm over here. I want to do something amazing in your life, in your family, in your marriage, in your church, in your business, on your ball team even, but I'm over here. Ecclesiastes says it like this, chapter 12, 13 through 14, easy one to remember prayerfully. Ecclesiastes 12, 13 and 14, here's the end of the matter, this is it. Like, if you want to know today, if you're kind of wondering, what's the point in life? Here it is, right here. I'm giving it to you from the Word. All has been heard. Number one, fear God. Like, holy awe and reverence. God, you're it. I'm not. You're it. I love you. I worship you. I give my life to you. And number two, keep His commandments. Simply obey Him. For this is the whole duty of man. Now, here's the warning. This is the warning. So, for those that go, I don't want it. I don't care. I don't want to listen to this nonsense. Here's the warning, verse 14. Here's, here's the warning. For God will bring how many deeds into judgment? Every. With every, how many secret things? Every. Whether good or evil. See, there's coming a day for every one of us. I've heard people say, I'll take, I can take God or leave him. No, you can't. <laughs> no, you can't. Good luck on that one. Oh, trust me, every human being that's ever walked the face of this planet will stand in judgment. You'll either be for your Bema judgment reward seat or the great white throne judgment, get away from me, I never knew you judgment, but every person will stand in judgment. Church, here's the question today on this Christmas Eve day that we're celebrating tomorrow prayerfully, the glory of the Lord. The question is this, are you like the shepherds formulating spiritual plans? Don't get to the end of your life going, man, I wish I would have. Like, how did I get to the end and I just lived for myself? How did I get to the end and I, and I heard the good news over and over and over and over? How did I get to the end and I heard, plan spiritually, plan spiritually, and yes, there was this rejection, rejection, rejection. Don't get to the end of your life rejecting what God is calling you to do, what He's calling you to be. Yes, what He's calling you to even give up. 
it's a hard thought, but such a true thought. Don't allow your life, church, being fairly pain-free to spiritually put you asleep. Don't allow that to happen. Don't allow it to somehow in your mind be a, God must be okay with this. The Lord has a long leash of patience regarding our disobedience, regarding my disobedience. But at some point, there will no longer be slack in the rope. The Bible says regarding disobedience that we are storing up wrath for the day to come. The Bible says that unless we repent, unless we believe through total surrender, we will die in our sins. That's what the Bible says. Today, what are you, what am I doing to formulate spiritual plans? Look at verse 16. Planning's great. We support planning. But spiritual planning is best. And look here in verse 16. Look in your Bible or on the screens about this verbal announcement. You know, if you just make plans, but you don't do anything about the plans, what good are the plans? Amen. Verse 16, and they, any idea who they is? Take a wild guess. And they, the shepherds, went, they obeyed with what? Now, this is very important. Went with what? Haste. What is haste? Well, you can do something hastily, and maybe it's not a good thing that you're doing, but there can be a good connotation. In this instance, it was. Maybe you heard your mom or your dad, maybe you heard your mom or your dad say something like this, to delay is to disobey. There's something about immediate obedience. Did you notice they immediately obeyed? Angels came, glory of God in the highest, lit up like a stadium there on that hillside where the shepherds were. They're like, let's talk to each other. Let's get a plan. Wait a minute. This is spiritual in nature. We just can't sit here. We need to go obey. And they did so immediately. That's why key number two says this. Write this down. Key number two in your notes. When the Lord makes something spiritually known... The outcome of the mission hinges on obedience. When the Lord makes something spiritually known, the outcome of the mission hinges on spiritual obedience. Maybe we might say it like this, spiritual talk is spiritually cheap. Ever heard talk is cheap? And when someone says talk is cheap, what are they saying in essence? Well, they're saying don't talk about it, go carry it out, go do it. How many people today profess Jesus but aren't living for Him? We often hear people, at least I have and I do, you ever heard about people complaining how bad things are? And they're, this is bad, and this is evil, and, and our country's horrible, and you know, we're, we're dealing with this struggle and this trial, and it's difficult, and all those things are true, and yet typically when I hear those people talking, it's those people that aren't willing to do anything. Just kind of wait for somebody else to have the courage to spiritually do something. Hey, maybe you ask it like this, this thought kind of hit me. Don't do this out loud, but just rhetorically, ask yourself this question. Say, self, what is the spiritual end goal for my life? See, so many people spiritually don't have a clue where they're going because they haven't made spiritual plans. What is the spiritual end goal for your life? I've encountered people over the decades in ministry that quote-unquote got saved, right? Whatever that really means. And then just sat down spiritually. <sighs> got that over with. Glad I could check that off my bucket list. Now, what is the spiritual end goal for your life? God, 
God didn't give His only Son for me. I'll use myself as the example. He didn't give His only Son for me so that I could go live for myself. He didn't give His only Son for me that I could go live in sin. He gave His only Son for me, put your name in there so that you could go live for Him, that you could live for others, that you could give your life away in missionary sacrifice, even across the street in your neighborhood, to go make a difference for His kingdom. That's why He gave His life for you and for me. Crucify your life is the answer. You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. All true believers across this world today on this Christmas Eve, if you're a true believer, you've given your life to Jesus. It's real. It's true. Every one of those true believers should have an end goal that I want to live my life to my last dying breath, giving my life away. That's where real peace is found. You got to remember, you got to get out of the business mindset or whatever mindset it is that maybe we've learned for, for decades, and you get back to the Bible mindset, the way up is down. You actually live by dying. You win by losing. I mean, everything's backwards. That's where peace is. And the people that I've encountered over the years that are hanging on to the worldly mindset of what it looks like to have peace, and they've heard about this Prince of Peace, Jesus, and you can see it in their eyes, there's just this torment. Of course there is. They're being pulled to and fro. And then the people I know that go, this worldly mindset, they, they, they just crumpled up, they throw off the side, and they go, Jesus, they come over here in the middle, they, they spread their arms and their heart and their mind wide, and they go, I'm all yours. The most peaceful people I have ever met. It's pretty simple, isn't it? They're not in this tug of war. Jesus, the flesh. They know what matters. What matters is that they gave their life to the one that gave his life. Jeremiah says it like this. Write this down. Jeremiah 29 Jeremiah 29, 8 through 14, for thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets, okay, this is very intriguing here, listen closely to this, do not let your prophets and your diviners, your, your, who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. The wolf has put on the sheep's costume is the way you could say this. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. Of course, verse 11, this is what's quoted often at graduation ceremonies. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. There's a reason why they have a hope here. It's not that they quoted a verse and put it on a poster board. It's because there's evil in their midst. And God is saying, I got nothing to do with this. But then, here's the news, verse 12, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. Anyone want God to hear them today? 
13, here's the promise. You will seek me and you will find me. When you seek me with all of your heart. 14, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you. Oh, did you catch that? Where I have driven you. It's God that's done the driving out, declares the Lord. I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Did you catch this? Real simple. A child could understand this. When you disobey God says, I'm not going to tolerate this. And he sent them out. And through the prophets, you see it over and over. If you read the prophets, just read them. Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, and all these prophets on and on, they are pleading with the people. The people know better, and they're pleading with them. And yet the rebellious hearts would just continue to simply rebel. Church, I was thinking of this thought in this key number two, but we have zero right to call good what God calls evil. We have zero right to call good what God calls evil. We're living in a country right now that is calling evil good. And the Bible says this, woe to them, you're making your bed and you're going to have to sleep in it. Don't call evil good and good evil. God says no. God says live in holiness. God says pursue holiness. God says pursue righteousness. And I believe we see that right here in this beautiful key number two. When the Lord makes something spiritually known, the outcome of the mission hinges. It hinges on obedience. Wouldn't that be horrible if you and I stayed in judgment on that day and God said, man, I had a mission for you in Chester, Virginia, and you messed it up because you simply would not obey. Can you imagine? That terrifies me. And I pray it terrifies you. Because when they, when the shepherds went, they obeyed, they did so immediately. And what did they do? Verse 16, they found. Did you catch this? So, so they heard, they obeyed immediately, and they found. See, so many people today are hearing, they're disobeying, and they're wondering why they're not finding. That's not the formula. The formula is here, the good news. Immediately obey the good news. Go live the good news. And you will find Jesus. Think about this thought. If we obediently follow through on the plans that the Lord has given us, what are you now going to do when you encounter Jesus? When you obey God, what are you now going to do when you encounter Jesus? Hey, nice to see you. Like, what are you going to do? Well, I believe right here in verse 17, it tells us. Look in verse 17 in your Bible. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. Here's a question. So, if you're again a true believer here or listening, who this past week have you made known widely about Jesus? This isn't an introverted, extroverted thing. <laughs> this boils down to a obedient or disobedient thing. There are so many principles out of these few verses that we get from shepherds. They were known literally as the outcast of society. To be around stinky sheep 
segregated, tending the sheep, and yet here we see them leading. You talk about leadership principles. This is leadership 101 spiritually. They made widely known what happened. That's why key number three, write this down. Key number three, when the Lord makes something spiritually known, we must make that very thing widely known. Write that down. When the Lord makes something spiritually known, we must make that very thing widely known. What would happen? This thought hit me. What would happen, church? What would happen to a life that God got a hold of? What would happen to that marriage that God got a hold of? What would happen to that family unit, that that little mini church, if you will, that God got a hold of? What would happen to the big church, the corporate church that God got a hold of? Church, what would happen in all of those entities if God got a hold of them and they got a hold of God's? And what would happen? I think Spurgeon said it well. He said, there's that man in Georgia who's prayed a hole in heaven. E.M. Bounds, he was referring to. That he got a hold of God and that God got a hold of him and, and he wouldn't let go. That as you get to the point in your life, whether you're young or, or middle-aged or you're in that final season, if you will, you just go, you know what, I'm going to count everything else as loss. I've tried it this far, this way. There's discontentment. There's not the joy I should have. And so I'm trying to give everything to Jesus. I'm going to press into Jesus. I'm going to surrender all, not some. I'm going to watch God work. Well, what would happen? What would happen? I believe amazing things would happen. The Bible tells us, church, that it will be costly to follow Jesus. It'll be costly. Question for you today, what what price are you paying to follow Jesus? What price is it costing you to follow Christ? Is he worth it? I mean, is he worth the cost you're paying? Maybe inside your family, and your family has ostracized you, and they say, we don't want anything to do with you. You talk about this Jesus character, and, and you've surrendered to him, and I don't want anything to do with that. And you got light and darkness even inside your own family, and they're colliding, and it's costing you dearly. Is he worth it? I know he is. I know he is. My Redeemer lives. He's worth every, every difficult moment. He's worth it. Because church, you only get one shot at this earthly life. One step into eternity, there aren't any do-overs. And you're either daily dying to self, enriching people, or you're daily living for self and sucking the life out of people. Oh, I pray we'll be like the shepherds, the lowly shepherds. They had a plan. They obeyed. They heard from the Lord. And they made it widely known. This is Him. This is the King. He is come. Amen? I mentioned these verses at the Monday evening prayer gathering. But I want to read them to you that weren't there. These verses over the past several days have just kind of sunk their teeth into me. You guys ever read a passage and and just the passage begins to sink its teeth into you? Like you can't shake it? Luke chapter 1, referencing John the Baptist, 76 through 79. Write that down. Luke 1, 76 through 79, referencing John the Baptist. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord, the forerunner, to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people in the forgiveness of their sins. 
Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, here it is, 79, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of, help me church, peace. There are so many people across our world today that are just sitting in darkness. And when you sit in darkness, you've arrived at the point where you're really comfortable. It's one thing to stand in darkness. It's one thing to toy around with the darkness. It's another thing to play patty cake with the darkness. But when you begin to sit in the darkness, you're comfortable. And Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. They that live in me no longer walk in darkness. Don't be spiritually comfortable, church. In this Christmas season, don't be spiritually comfortable. If you become spiritually comfortable, you're playing Russian roulette spiritually. And Satan will have you in his crosshairs. And he'll lull you to sleep and he'll pull you away. Very slow. Just pull you away. Pull you away. And one day you'll wake up wondering what you've done. See, a true encounter with Jesus just doesn't inform us a true encounter with Jesus transforms us. A true encounter with Jesus doesn't just inform us. I'm not standing up here. I haven't prepared 20 hours just to pass on information. The whole point and what we do here every Sunday at 1030 is we are doing spiritual war at this pulpit. That we are literally taking on Satan right now. And all his schemes and all his lies and all that he tries to do, and we are pounding him with the word of God. Jesus didn't call you to be informed, he called you to be transformed. So, lastly, look at verse 18. What was the result? There's always a result, whether good or bad. What was the result? of all that these shepherds did. Verse 18, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. How many people, according to this verse, wondered or were amazed at what the shepherds told them? How many? Anyone know? All. Never estimate the impact of your obedience to Jesus on those who have a ringside seat to your obedience in Jesus. Don't underestimate it. I've heard people say, well, I'm not making any difference at all. How do you know that, that you're blooming, that you're living where God has planted you, you're obeying Him, you're fighting the good fight, you're, you're toiling on. And Yes, I get it. It feels like there's days where you do ask yourself, am I making any difference? But I know this from God's Word, and this is what God's Word says, and I believe it to be true. I believe in God's Word. Here's what it says. It says this very simply, that no matter what we do for Him, it's never in vain. That's great news, isn't it? That's a great Christmas gift right there with a big pretty bow. I want you to think about this key number four. Last key, here it is. Here it is, key four. When the Lord makes something spiritually known, and we made a spiritual plan, and we have obediently made that very thing known, there will be those around us who will stand by in holy awe and wonder at the greatness of our God. Isn't that awesome? And this is from a bunch of shepherds. <laughs> Go figure. It's amazing what the Scriptures teach us. 
Matter of fact, R.C. Sproul said it like this, people in awe never complain that church is boring. That's good, isn't it? Isn't that awesome? Church is boring. I need to get on with my afternoon. That's someone who's not in awe of Jesus. I can assure you that. Man, you stand in awe of Jesus. You're just like, you're it, man. This is your day. I'm giving it to you. You talk about some people that were in awe. Write down this chunk here, this last chunk I'm going to give you of Scripture, supporting verse for four. Supporting verses for four. Mark chapter two. Mark two. Here it is. Mark 2, 1 through 12. Look at your Bible, look on the screens, and just dial into this last thought. Here it is. And when he, who do you think he is, and it's not the shepherds? Jesus, good. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. One translation says he was in the house. (laughs) I like that one. He was in the house. Verse 2, and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. See, when Jesus comes to your house, the house gets filled with people. And he was preaching the word to them. Hmm, wow. Man, that's a ticket that's worth infinite dollars, isn't it? Can you imagine? Think about your favorite preacher on TV or whatever. Can you imagine that you listen to Jesus preach? Wow. Wow. Wow, don't you drop everything to go hear Jesus preach? Don't you cancel everything going on to hear Jesus preach? Well, let's see what these guys did. And as he's preaching, verse 3, they came. Who's they? Well, here they are. They're bringing to him a paralytic carried by how many men? Four. And when they could not get near him, there it is. Don't miss that. Didn't say when they could not get him to the walk-in clinic. They're taking this guy to the spiritual ER is what they're doing. When they could not get near him because of the crowd, they went home and gave up. Is that what that says? That's the bad message translation, amen? No, here it is. They removed the roof. (laughs) This isn't their house. (laughs) I always chuckle. Can you imagine what the homeowner's saying? It's like, I just put that roof on there yesterday. They removed the roof above him, and when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Now, this is the kind of people I want to hang around with right here. I mean, I want to hang around these kind of people. When we get to Jesus, we got to get this guy to Jesus. Because we know that when we get to Jesus, mountains get moved. They're not thinking about themselves. They probably had a good ball game on to watch. The grass probably needed to get cut. I bet their wives had a honeydew list bigger than Arizona. And I mean, literally, it was that long. You know what I'm saying? And these guys said, scrap all that, man. Here we go. Then we'll roll up our sleeves. We're going to wait for someone else to go help this guy. We're going to go do it. And we're going to get this guy to Jesus. Even if it means we've got to tear apart someone else's roof. That's wild stuff, isn't it? What do you think happened next? Well, Jesus begins to speak. Verse 5. And when Jesus saw whose faith? Did you catch this? Don't, don't miss this. This isn't filler. This isn't a nuance. Whose faith did he see? Their faith. He then says to the paralytic, <laughs> he's watching the four guys that go, <laughs> Jesus, we believe that you can do anything. We believe that you were born, that you came to this earth, that you are the Messiah, and we're going to get this guy to you. Don't underestimate, church. Don't underestimate what you can do to lead someone to the Lord by your obedience. Amazing, isn't it? Just amazing. They looked away from themselves. They weren't complaining. Like, we got to get this guy to Jesus. 
And when he saw their faith, here it is. He said, sons, your sins are forgiven. Kind of an odd statement, isn't it? He's a paralytic. What does sin have to do with him being physically healed? Hang on. Seat belt on, right? Click. Here it is. Right here. Now, some of the scribes. Oh, here we go. Help me on this, church. Where God is working, so is Satan. Take it to the bank. That check will cash every time. Jesus is working. Got four guys giving up their day to go get this guy to Jesus, tearing apart someone else's roof to go do it. And here you go. Here go the religious elite, the Pharisees. Well, some of the scribes were sitting there and they're questioning their hearts. <laughs> Just hoity toity. We got it all together. Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. No, he's not. Who can forgive sins but God alone? You're standing in front of God if you've had the spiritual blinders removed. And immediately, without delay, Jesus, this must have spooked them out, perceiving his spirit that they questioned about these things amongst themselves, he said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? Can you imagine? They're like, what's going on here? What's going on? He's reading our mail. He's found us out. We've been exposed. And then he says, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise up, take up your bed, and walk. Think about this. Anyone can say, your sins are forgiven, your sins are forgiven, your sins are forgiven, your sins are forgiven, your sins are forgiven. But for someone who is not one of these charlatan evangelists that's got some scheme going on, but for someone who truthfully can look at someone and go, you're paralyzed, get up and walk, and they get up and walk, wow. And that's what Jesus says next, verse 10, but that you may know, there it is, but that you may know. See, the whole point of the gospel is that you may know. That's the whole point of Christ coming to the earth, that you may know that the Son of Man has authority. Do you believe Jesus has authority today? Has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, get up, is what that means, pick up your bed and go home. <laughs> wow. That's powerful. Get up. Wrap up your sleeping bag. Go home. And he rose. He got up. And immediately, with a bunch of immediately's going on here, he picks up his bed and he went out before them all so that they were all amazed and they glorified God saying, we never saw anything thing like this. I believe this to be true church. I believe God is waiting on people that so deny themselves, that give up themselves, that he begins to work in such power, with such might, that literally all the people stand back and go, we've never seen anything like this. You're probably asking, well, what does all that mean? How does all that fit in with Christmas? Stand with me right now if you would. Just stand up. I want you to take your Bible, if you have a physical Bible or one on your phone. Just take that Bible. I want you to hold it in front of you. Just hold it in front of you, the Word of God, the living Word of God. This is the living, breathing Word of God. Amen the greatest book ever penned, ever written, right here in front of you. It's life. It can, it can free you today. I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know the hurt and the trauma, the past and the heartache and the disappointment, but I know this, our God is able. Our God's able. And with this thought, I want you to hold that Bible. I'm going to read this to you. And if you want to raise your hand, if you want to shout, if you want to praise as I read this to you, I want you just to think about how great our God is to the living, breathing Word of God. God selected His only Son, Jesus, 
to be the provision to satisfy His wrath against us. I, you, a rebellious people. Who does this? All throughout Scripture, we see this thought that the people will know that I am God's. And the song says it so well that we listened to earlier in the Sunday school hour, but I want to read you a few stanzas as you worship the Lord, as you, you think about the written word and, and what Jesus is to you, that, that He came and that He died, and He gave His life for you, that, that you might have life abundantly and free, that, that you might not rot in a godless hell, but that you might live forever with Him. And think about these thoughts here that, Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day walk on water? That Jesus is able, amen? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? Did you know, Mary, that your baby boy has come to make you new? And this child that you delivered will soon deliver you. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would give sight to a blind man. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would calm a storm with his hand? With his hand, he calms the storms. Just not the physical storms, but the storms in your life today. He can calm them. Did you know that your baby boy has walked where angels trod? When you kiss your little baby, you kiss the face of God. Now here it is, the blind will see, the deaf will hear, the dead will live again. Oh, physically, yes, but spiritually more. The spiritually blind will see, the spiritual deaf will hear, the spiritual dead will walk again. That's how good our Jesus is. The lame will leap, the spiritual lame will leap. The dumb will speak. The spiritual dumb will speak. The spiritually dead will live again. Mary, did you know that your baby boy was Lord of all creation? Do you believe that today, church? Do you believe that? Jesus Christ is Lord of all creation. We speak the name of Jesus today, don't we, church? Mary, did you know your baby boy would someday rule the nations. Did you know that your baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb? And the sleeping child you're holding church is just not a I am. He is the great I am. Jesus has been born. He has been born. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus Christ has come to dwell in your heart, to dwell in my heart. He's here to give you life that you've never had before. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? I believe He is. Amen. as we bow our heads and think on these thoughts, as we believe it, do we have a spiritual plan is the real question. Lord, don't allow us just to sit and soak, but may we be on mission for You. Jesus, what are we doing with You today? We're with you. We're next to you. Why are we with you? Jesus, what are we doing with you today? You've given your life for us and you've given us a command to go share the glory story of the gospel. And are we stewarding that well? Or are we just waiting for someone else? to do what you've called us to do. Oh Lord, I pray, as we thank on this Christmas Eve, may our lives never be the same again. If we're here today and we're choosing to ride the fence, be warned, be warned. Satan owns the fence. Oh Lord, I pray, would fall over onto your side, give our all to you, 
deny ourselves and take up our crosses and follow you all the days of our lives. That's going to be a hard, narrow road. It's going to be difficult, that narrow way. Narrow way living. It's difficult. Few find it. But it ends in spiritual life. May we learn from the shepherds today. May we be infused with a courage and a boldness like never before. And God, may you receive all the glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during This Day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.